otherwise on SAFM. Now, Dr. Adriana Murray has been named one of 15 promising young scientists from around the world at the 17th Annual L'Oreal UNESCO for Women in Science Awards held in the historic Grand Amphitheater of the Sorbonne University in Paris last week. And she joins me now on the phone. Dr. Adriana Murray, welcome to Otherwise and congratulations. Thank you so much, Shadow. Thanks for having me today. Now, how do you become one of 17 around the world, or one of 15, rather, around the world? What did you have to do to, to get there, to be recognized? So as part of the L'Oreal UNESCO for Women in Science program, um, I first applied for the regional um, grant or fellowship in 2013, and along with 10 or 9 other recipients from the sub-Saharan African region, I was lucky enough to receive that. And then they had the sort of international final where the finalists from the regional awards were um, able to reapply for the International Rising Talent Grant. Mm -hmm. And it was a privilege and an honor to spend a week with the other 14 recipients of the award in Paris um, a week ago. Now, what were you doing and what were you talking about with the rest of the team? So we had an extremely busy week with a very tight schedule. Um, So most of the time that we had to chat was either during lunch or dinner or on the bus between the various places (laughs) that we drove around to. And it was just a fascinating bus ride every time, sitting next to a different person and hearing a bit about their their lives, their families, and most uh, excitingly, their research. Now, your research, what is it about? And the, the, the minute I hear quantum biology, uh, quantum, and it's out, my, it's out of my head, two, two big words to deal with. So can you just break it down for us, what your research was about and uh, what your findings were? Sure. So quantum, as uh, we may have heard, the quantum mechanics described as very small things like atoms and electrons that are far smaller than the resolution of the human eye, Mm -hmm. while biology deals with uh, things like elephants and uh, plants, and these are generally things that we can see. So you may wonder indeed what quantum mechanics has to do with biology. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, some experiments uh, from about 50 years ago up until recently, there's been a revived interest in these experiments that have shown that we actually need to look on these very small scales of quantum mechanics to understand photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. So the very early stages of photosynthesis, actually the first millionth of a second, is an extremely efficient process where no photons, which are light particles, and no electrons, which we know are part of current, electric current, are lost. So what we would really like to understand is the efficiency of this process that nature does so perfectly and we would like to try and use this knowledge to apply to developing new technologies like artificial biologically inspired solar cells, for example, which can contribute towards green energy technologies on the planet. Mm-hmm. And what do they do for us as humans? Does it give us longer lives? Does it give us uh, longevity? Well, uh, it seems that we need to find alternative power sources on this planet uh, to ensure our continued existence here. Fossil fuels will run out eventually, and the kinds of research into, into biological processes, which have really been evolving for billions of years, have perfected uh, many methods of, of harvesting sunlight energy, for example. Um, photosynthesis is the natural process to study first, because as we understand that photosynthetic living systems were amongst the very first to emerge on Earth, so they're the easiest to understand. 
So in terms of immortality, I think we need to wait a few decades or <laughs> centuries for that. <laughs> but um, the kinds of research that we do on, on photosynthetic organisms will eventually have implications for more complex living systems like uh, animals and humans. And how does that relate to uh, other planets uh, and, and our lives on on, uh, for instance, I think you're one of the people online, 24 people, to uh, go and experiment with Mars One. Yes, so as a child, I always um, dreamed of living on another planet. Well, you already uh, live on another planet in your head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, something like that. Um, so it's, a, it's immensely exciting to me to be living at this point in history where um, non-governmental projects like the Mars One project have opened up applications to become um, the first, amongst the first humans to move to Mars. The planned date for departure is 2026, and I'm currently one of the remaining 100. Eventually they'll narrow it down to 24, who will then be trained. Um, so 2026 is quite a long way away, so at the moment what is most exciting and important to me now is related to the belief I have that the education and the, the long education that I've had comes with this privilege, comes with the responsibility to share this knowledge. So what I'm trying to do at the moment is use as well as the capacity I've got from the L'Oreal UNESCO grant and also through the Mars One project to really make an effort to promote science not only to girls and women but also to boys and men in South Africa and to convince them that science is exciting, space exploration is uh, entering a new era which is also extremely exciting and that a career in science is a feasible one and especially through, pro through programs like For Women in Science by L'Oreal UNESCO. What do you think are misconceptions that, you know, why do you think young, young people don't stay in science and especially girls? What are the misconceptions? What can we make, what can we do to make science attractive? So at the moment I've been giving many talks on, on the prospect of moving to Mars and also my research and um, I've always enjoyed trying to, I think it's easy to inspire children with talk of moving to another planet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> on a more serious note, I think the kinds of things we do in research is really just an extension of who we are as humans. So the curiosity, the questions that arise about why the world around us is the way it is, is something fundamental to all humans. So I think this just needs to be encouraged more. Um, teachers in the schools should, uh, should be exposed to some of these exciting science opportunities that can happen after school. And um, I think being on tour as a scientist and visiting schools is, is very important to me right now. So, yeah, I really think doing, doing science and being in research is just an extension of the natural curiosity that all humans have. And I would like to uh, spread this, this uh, thought of mine. Did you hear the quote I read when I opened up, you know, from Carl Sagan? It, you know, that says uh, we've arranged things so that none of us understand science and technology. So clearly there is something that we're not getting, even though we're curious. I think the curiosity is there because everyone believes that kids are born as scientists and then we beat it out of them, you know, at, so, at some point. But so how can we simplify it and, 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 and make sure that as we communicate and teach it, 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 it encourages the, the, the inquisitive mind, the curious mind of, of the young person. So I think first of all, um, we need to focus on teacher training, especially in South Africa, and make sure that our teachers are feeling confident and informed about the syllabus which they are teaching, which as you know has changed uh, significantly in the last few years. Um, secondly, I think the internet is an important resource. Uh, when I was learning science, 
there was no chance to download a YouTube video on what is Schrodinger's cat. But uh, nowadays, I think quite quite complex um, scientific ideas are represented in YouTube videos. There are also free lectures online from mm-hmm. leading experts around the world mm-hmm. giving sort of public talks and that kind of thing. So I think uh, the Internet is a marvelous resource for, for presenting in a short format um, some quite complex ideas. And I think the idea that we can access for free the lectures and the public talks and the conferences that are going on around the world is really something that people should make use of even in the classroom. Hmm. So coming back to you, what's next for you? Mars One is next, but how are you preparing for Mars One? Should you be picked? Because you're in the last 100 now. And and what sort of thoughts are you having about where you're going? Because you're not coming back, right, if you go? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, of course, enjoying every day of my life on Earth while I'm here. The people, the plants, the animals, the mountains, and the sea. Um, but uh, in terms of preparation, actually, I'm extremely excited to have accepted a position with the Foundation for Space Development South Africa uh, recently. So I'm actively involved now in promoting science and space exploration and just sharing with people the active role that South Africa can and is also playing in this uh, development of science and space exploration. And also my research, I will be focusing in the next uh, year, thanks to the grant from L'Oreal UNESCO, on the origins of life and also the detection in space of complex molecules like amino acids. So I hope one day to continue this research on Mars where there's a whole new environment to explore these questions. What is it that you will take with you that will you'll hold dear as far as Earth is concerned? I'm not even talking about family because you must take something that belongs to family. But, and I'm not, I'm not even sure how much you're allowed to take. But to remind you of Earth or the one thing that you think you need to be with from Earth. What, oh, gosh, I'm, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with you. <laughs> It takes a while to get your head around. I know, I know. It's scary, eh? For me. But I'm glad you're excited about it. So what is it that you're going to miss and what are you going to take with you? I mean, there must be so much. So I think what I would miss the most is really every aspect of Earth. I really am spending a lot of time with the people I love, um, with the places I love, at the beach and Cape Town with the mountains. Just really appreciating every day but in terms of what I take with I think weight restrictions will be a, a big issue so I think I would need a, a few terabytes probably where I would load all of my photos my letters my movies my music um, all of my memories I would load into the electronic form and take them with me so that's while I'm up there I'll just have access to all my information is there going to be an opportunity to communicate with your loved ones Yes, certainly. So actually the first aspect of the Mars One project idea is to install two satellites that will enable um, communication with Earth all the time. This is the first mission that they need to pull off successfully. And yes, there will be a time delay because Mars is really far from Earth. Even light takes between 3 and 21 minutes to travel between the two. So probably the communication, preferred communication method would be through video clips and um, of course Twitter and email and all of these media will work also. Well, I hope to talk to you nearer the time. I know 2026 is a long time away, but as you prepare every step you take, uh, just just keep in touch with us. 
Um, yes. I, I also, I know that there are a lot of scientists and people that would be interested in this research that you've done. Um, so are there links, are there publications where people can go? Can you, can you give us some details? Yes, so my website is adrianamaria.org, where there are links to my research profiles, my Twitter, my YouTube videos, and so on. And if anybody would like to contact me to come and give a talk, either at their school or at their corporate meeting or um, even in their society, I'm more than happy to receive your request. And all of that can be done on my website, adrianamaria.org. And I see you on Twitter because we've been in touch yes. already. <laughs> thank you so much for talking to us. You're a brave girl. And thank you for popularizing uh, science, especially. And I hope you reach as many people as you can before 2026. Thanks so much for having me, Shadow. And as I say, watch the space. Oh, no, we are watching. <laughs> we are watching, believe me. And hopefully we continue to watch you even when you've left our space into space okay thanks adriana thank you so much for your time thank you so much. and congratulations once more thank you very much bye-bye that is dr adriana murray one of 15 promising young scientists from around the world recognized by l'oreal unesco and of course uh, one of the last hundred waiting to to hear of their departure from earth to mars one very very interesting when we come back i speak about the coding academy codex otherwise on safm now we hear about a new coding academy codex which is in town and co-founder um co-founder of of the coding academy is is talking to us right now elizabeth gold welcome and thank you for joining us Thank you so much for having me. Elizabeth, you, you sound very excited about this academy. Can you tell us what the Coding Academy does? Absolutely. So we train software developers. We find the best talent. Um, currently, we're in Cape Town, but hopefully soon we'll be elsewhere in South Africa. Find the best young talent and train them for a job and a career that is very much in demand and also a very rewarding career. So, yeah, I'm very excited about it because I'm very passionate about how technology is driving South Africa forward. And we need to train our young people for the skills they need in order to do that. That's what we're doing. Now, are software developers in demand? <laughs> Basically infinite demand. So the reason why I started Codex is because I, so I was a tech journalist and I traveled all around Africa covering, you know, new companies, building awesome things to drive the, the continent forward. And after every interview I did off camera, somebody would say to me, do you know any developers? We really need developers. And so what's happening at the moment is that there are so few software developers in South Africa that most growing companies have to outsource those jobs to India or Poland or various other countries. And so we're not keeping these great jobs here in South Africa. At the same time, you've got a youth unemployment rate that's above 50%. So, I mean, one tech recruiter I talked to alone, just one, told me she knew of 33,000 unfilled coder jobs. I mean, that's just one person. That's a lot. So it's just an infinite, huge, huge demand. And what we do is, to, that's a bit different from a conventional university, is we train people by having them work on real projects. So even in the very beginning before they're working on projects with companies, everything is framed in terms of actually building a product that somebody would use. 
And so it's a very, very practical apprenticeship-style training. Now, you don't teach them the theory, though. You just, because they're on the job. So they, they almost just doing the practical work and learning the skill. Well, what we do in order to address that, I mean, the most in-demand stuff is the practical work, mm -hmm. but it is also really important to have some kind of grounding in computer science. So actually our CTO, Dave Weber, every Friday runs a CompSci masterclass for two hours where they understand now what they are doing in the practical work is an algorithm. What they're doing is a data structure. So they get um, you know, some theoretical background, but it's certainly not as deep as if they were you know, doing a computer science degree at a university. But that's not what the industry needs. The industry needs people who can actually execute. Now, how do you identify these students? Do they have to have prior qualifications um, like matric? Or would, would anyone be able to walk in, learn on the job, and, and hopefully catch up with the theory? No, we, we actually we have a pretty rigorous uh, selection process. So we do ask for matric, although um, in certain circumstances we are willing to take people who will then redo their matric while they're in codex. But in general... <laughs> Matric is a baseline. We actually have most of our people have some kind of background before, whether that's a diploma or a couple of years of university. Um, about half our people have some kind of coding experience at the moment. Uh, we expect that to increase. But what we do ask for, so our, our application process is, um, you know, give out your academic qualifications and results, um, solve a bunch of logic puzzles so that we understand that people have logical reasoning skills. Show us something that you've made, uh, and that doesn't have to be tech, but it, it shows that you have the innate desire to build and create stuff, which is very important to us and not really something that you can learn. That has to be in you. And then the real critical thing that we learned from our pilot last year and what we've implemented this year is that they have to do an online course, uh, a Code Academy course, which is a free course in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, which are the basic front-end web design uh, languages in order to get in. So that is about a 40-hour commitment. And what that means is that you both, we know you have the coding aptitude and you know it's something that you're really interested in doing before embarking on the long-term, you know, the year-long process with us. So in order, not everybody, of course, has internet access. So we run open days around Cape Town, uh, both in town and also out in various townships. We have uh, Cape Town Public Library, Brothers for All in Longa and Kuyasa and Kayamondi. We have a couple of other places where we have computer labs where people can go on Saturdays and sign up to do these courses if they don't have internet access at home. Now, you mentioned uh, the language of coding. Are there, is there one language or are there many languages? So there are many languages. Um, Codex is language agnostic. So we don't say we are training you in Java, we are training you in Python. We are training people to think like programmers so that means that when they leave Codex, they will have exposure to several languages and be able to learn on the job on their own. Mm -hmm. What we start with in the first few months, though, is HTML, CSS, and full-stack JavaScript, so the front end and back end of web design. And then people, depending on the partners that we work with, um, people will learn different languages that 
that go to what they're passionate about. So some people will be more passionate about mobile app development. Mm -hmm. So they may learn Java for Android, for example. Some people are going to be interested in back-end web development. So they may do projects more focused in Python and Ruby on Rails. So our goal, because the thing is, is that languages go in and out of style, mm. right? What the industry needs is not always what net, net, what they need now. It's not what they're going to need in five years. We don't want to train people who are going to be five obsolete in five years. We want to train people who are going to be think like developers for their whole careers. And so it's really important for us to not be tied to any one language. However, they're only doing projects in the languages that are relevant right now. Can they create their own language? <laughs> more power to them. <laughs> sure they can. <laughs> I'd love to see that. In fact, some of our guys have very ambitious dreams. So, you know, we don't want to uh, limit anybody's dreams. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Please do stay on the line for me. Uh, we, Elizabeth, we're going to take news headlines and we're back talking to you. I'd like to know about um, how they get funded and, you know, and how how they pay for the program if they pay at all. And if yep. you if you do place them in, 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 in jobs yourself or do they have to go out and find their own jobs? But please do stay on the line. Otherwise, on SAFM. Finding out more about the Coding Academy, Codex, and uh, we're speaking through the co-founder, Elizabeth Gould. Elizabeth, how, how, how much does it cost to have these uh, lessons from Codex? Yeah, well, it's not cheap. <laughs> I can uh, imagine, I can imagine. Yeah, so the, the tuition cost for each three-month term is 25,000 Rand. However, the coders, the way that the, the structure works is that we have company sponsors who sponsor developer seats. And the way that we're doing it at the moment is that we spread out those sponsorships across the whole class of coders. And then anything that isn't covered, the coders take out loans for. But the loans are only payable back once they get a job as a developer. And do you find them jobs? Do you place them, make sure they're placed? Yeah, so we actually, our first coder from last term is um, working now in a paid internship at a, at a quite a, high-end developer shop called Platform 45. And basically, I get inbound requests nearly every day for mm -hmm. developers. I mean, mm -hmm. it's actually, it's shocking. They just can't find the skills. So we definitely, are, you know, towards the end of this year, are going to start really going out there. We're already placing some in paid internships. And then towards the end of this year, for the people who stay for the full year, uh, we will look towards placing them in junior developer jobs. Now, I'm told in the U.S. there's a coding academy on every street corner. <laughs> so you, you've, got your work, you, you've got your work cut out for you because now we depend on you to put uh, codex on every street corner. <laughs> well, that is definitely our ambition, right? Um, there's, you know, it's interesting because, I'm, as you can hear, I'm, I'm from the U.S. Uh, and yes. what's happened in the last couple of years, uh, especially since the financial crisis in you know, 2008 through 2010, is that people have realized that the jobs that they lost are not coming back and the new jobs in the 21st century across every sector are software jobs. Mm -hmm. That's what's in demand. So it doesn't matter whether you're passionate about advertising or fashion or healthcare or education or energy, every sector needs software. And so, I mean, we had NASA here uh, last week coming to visit the coders, and what they, an astronaut, told us about was how on the space station, every single aspect of it is now controlled by software. And that's something that didn't exist. It was totally different 
10, 15 years ago. So, you know, I encourage, I want to make coding South Africa's 12th official language. <laughs> well, I'll, I think that it should be in every school and that everybody should have the basics and they can do whatever they want with it once they have those basics. That's what's so powerful about it to me. Because now I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying, and, and cause, because of what you've just mentioned, I'm thinking this uh, coding is a problem solver. So we can use exactly. coding, we can use coding to solve every problem that we have and, and get, get people employed, number one, but also just get people to understand how we grow our economy by using it in each and every um, industry, as you say. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that has really bowled me over is what our coders come up with once they have the basic understanding of how technology can be used. So, for example, uh, one, one coder came up with an informal money lending app. Another team of coders came up with an app to increase transparency between minibus taxi owners and drivers because that's a very big source of, of rancor at the taxi rank. Oh, my goodness. Um, a construction transparency app for registering complaints about uh, builders in, in townships. I mean, all of these kinds of things are problems that technology can solve that, frankly, you know, I won't see, right? I, it, it's, it's about solving the problems that you see in your world using technology and there's a lot of value and and companies that can be created out of that and jobs that are going to be created out of that well so, it, t it tells me then yeah. i wasn't being i wasn't being silly by saying that's when they create their own languages as well because they're reacting to different situations absolutely absolutely no you're not being silly i mean <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is is this is a an infinite toolkit to create what you want to see in the world and that's what I, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about getting as many, many young people coding as possible. And frankly, anybody, I mean, anybody can learn it. I am not a very, I'm a terrible coder, you know, but I sit there and sometimes and try to get through it myself. It doesn't, not everybody is going to be a coder in the world, but I do feel like, I mean, if I look at my niece and nephew who are five years old, who have been using iPads since they were 18 months old, I mean, the, the, the new generation and, you know, in Africa, most people are young people and that's going to continue to be like that for the next 50 years. You know, the new generation are digital natives in a way that that we actually can't even imagine and so mm -hmm. the world is open to them the coding world is open to them in a way that it isn't to wasn't to some you know older people so that's why you know we focus on that because this is the workforce and it's not just the workforce of africa i mean by 2030 the largest working age population in the world is going to be in africa and by 2100 40 percent of the world is going to be african so we are looking at training the next several generations of people who are going to power the entire world and so you know that's why we're starting now Elizabeth, I'm thinking of uh, graduates that are sitting at home, cannot find jobs or cannot be placed. I'm thinking of people that are pensioned, older people and forced by age to go on pension. And yet they ex-graduates and they qualified people. Can they learn coding as well to, 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 to kind of still contribute to the economy? Absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, Codex is a, I mean, I'm, I don't want to call it the Harvard of coding. In Africa, <laughs> but, you know, Codex is an in-person, full-time, you know, course that is training people to be employable developers. But the amount of coding resources that are available free online now is infinite. And we, that's, you know, what we use to make sure 
that people love coding before they get in. Mm -hmm. Code Academy is one, Khan Academy, Girl Develop It, and I'd love to say something about uh, women in tech and getting more women into tech. I know Mm -hmm. this is a show that focuses heavily on women, and a lot of women don't don't see tech as something that is interesting to them. Um, Well, it's all... You're a geek in a dark room or something. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's all geeky and stuff, you know, and people sitting alone in a, as you say, in a dark room just with a computer. It, it could drive one crazy. It could, it, you know, it acts as a deterrent when you have that picture in your head. Yeah. So, and, and, and we're going to do everything we can to try to counteract that picture, right? So, Codex, in Codex, all work is teamwork. So, you're never actually sitting alone. Um, you're always working on a team and you're always talking to them and, and sharing each other's knowledge in order to build the best product possible, which is how it works actually in real life, you know, software development houses and, and software development teams. That's how it works. So, you know, it's, I, I don't want people to think of technology as something that is not human. Technology are just tools, just like a pencil or a cash register or anything else to build and solve very human problems. Mm. And I mean, you know, I was at the African Leadership Academy in Johannesburg last week, and I met a team of young 18-year-old girls, one was from South Africa, one Swaziland, one Zimbabwe, and one Nigeria, working together to build an app to help women be able to report rape and sexual abuse. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's, that's not, they're not in it for the tech. They're mm-hmm. in it for what the tech can help them achieve. Sure. And, you know, I think that that's the way that we need to start you know, marketing these kinds of skills. We also ran a two-week coding boot camp in partnership just for girls, in partnership with uh, Innovate South Africa called Code for Cape Town. And the whole goal of that was human-centered design and building websites for uh, companies in Kyalicha that needed a website. The website was about uh, the gangster museum and a clothing line, et cetera, et cetera. So, the outcome is has nothing to do with technology. Technology mm. is only the tool to help you get there. Now, Elizabeth, people are listening and are wondering really now seriously when Codex gets to 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 their city. How are you planning this? And can other people have agencies on your behalf with regards to starting up Codex? How does it work? Yeah, um, potentially. I mean, I at the moment, I would say we're looking at partnerships on a case-by-case basis. We certainly have ambitions to franchise Codex branches all over Africa, and hopefully some of our graduates are going to be the people who start those because the culture of Codex is very important about working in teams um, and designing the right products to solve the right problem. So we want people to come to Codex and then take Codex elsewhere. Uh, I would say to get in touch with me, um, and let me just give some information about how to get in touch with me. So our website is projectcodex.co, not ZA, just mm-hmm. .co. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, people can email us on info at project dot, uh, projectcodex.co. You can find us on Twitter at, at project underscore codex. Um, and on Facebook as well, you can search for us, Project Codex on Facebook. So any way to get in touch with us, I mean, the more support we have from companies that need software developers, so the more sponsorships we get, the faster we're going to be able to grow. So, you know, we get inbound requests all the time, but we really need uh, the industry support in order to get more and more young people these awesome jobs, which, 
you know, everybody needs software developers. So let's use the, the money that you need to spend on, on CSI and stuff like that to fund fund coders going through Codex. And therefore, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get to Johannesburg, Durban, and everywhere else in between. Yeah, no, no, because you, you did some crowdfunding for yours, right? We did crowdfunding for the Code for Cape Town, just for the, the boot camp. So um, we, it was one of those things where I was like, listen, we really want to do this. There's no real money in our budget for it. Let's see how we can rally the world around getting more South African young women to learn to code. Because in our first pilot program, we only had one girl out of 10, so 10%. And now we have 25%. So we've got five awesome young women in Codex now. So we want to get more and more women, but crowdfunding, you know, I don't think is really a tool for codex on mass i think it's mm-hmm. a great tool to run short boot camps because you can have a very targeted time frame and a very targeted amount that doesn't cost a huge amount of money what we really need is large companies and small companies alike to use the money that they need to spend on skills development and social economic development we have a nonprofit bursary fund uh, that runs through our partners the click foundation and so uh, companies can use the money that they need to spend on that in order to fund coders going through the program. And we, we really think that that's going to be a way to make Codex sustainable in the long term, as well as placement fees that we'll get from, you know, becoming a tech recruiter, essentially. So how long does it, how, how long does it take from beginning of program to end or to finding a job or being ready for the job market? It, it's a year, so it's three three month terms. We start we started this term in, in February, mid February, and it will end at the end of November um, or beginning at beginning of December. Um, we think that that's really what's required to make somebody an awesome junior developer that we want to you know we can stand by placing them on a team. That being said, there will be some people who will be in for shorter amounts of time, so say one or two terms, and then go to an internship program. Um, and we're open to that as well. But, you know, we want people to come out of Codex with a practical portfolio of real work that they've done with the code to back it up. And we think that that really takes a year. Well, I must thank you for making being geek cool, being a geek <laughs> cool. Because, because I think we've, 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 we've now uh, whet the appetite for young people listening. I think all of them now understand it better. And I, 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 I encourage them to go to your website and, and get more information. And, and thank you so much for, for bringing uh, Codex to South Africa. And I hope... Well, my, my partners are South African, so I just happen to be the only American in the bunch. Ah, okay. You know, okay. South Africans understand also... Um, how important it is because, I mean, all of the people on the Codex team come from the industry. Mm. And my partner, who's the chairman, Michael Yordan, was the CEO of FNB, and he often says that he could have hired 200 developers at any time for FNB, and he couldn't find them. Mm. And so, you know, we all came at it with the same, the same problem that we're trying to solve, which is that growing South African companies do not have the tech skills that they need, so let's address that. But also, I know you're very passionate about growing the, the economy of, of the continent. Absolutely. I mean, we, we want to encourage people to become entrepreneurs as well. Um, and we have a partnership and lab, which is based in Pretoria, because we want to be able to make sure that the coders who come through, you know, many of them are going to go and get awesome jobs 
And actually, I think that that's a good experience for everyone. But people who want to become entrepreneurs and use the technology that they now know how to use in order to start companies and create jobs, we want to support that as well. So um, I think that you know technology is what is going to drive this continent forward, and we need to create the, the very big human resource base. You know, Africa's best resources are human resources. So we just need to groom them and and grow them to being as productive as they can be. What a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, and thank you for your time. Good luck with the project. And thank you so much. It's great to speak with you. As I say, we need to see it on every street corner in 10 years, let's say, okay? Or less. <laughs> you take care now. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That uh, you'll find the website projectcodex.co, and it's got no ZA. So www.projectcodex.co. They're currently in Cape Town, but as you heard, um, you could. You could. They're looking to franchise. So maybe if you feel you you as part of your CSI, if you're a company, then maybe uh, give Elizabeth a shout. And, you know, young people, I know already that young people in, in the, some, some young girls working in Kailicha, um, they, they, they are using, working on a digital, digital cash flow system for a small spaza shop. So, you know, we think we have problems and yet we can solve those problems through coding.